Okay, there goes the top button. It's gone. All righty then. Praise God. Mine eyes have seen the glory. When we think of that song, we think of Civil War times when it came out. But it became a, a song about the coming of the Lord. How many of you are looking forward to the coming of the Lord? The fact that this world is a mess, as we talked about last week. It's a mess. But we've got a message for the mess. Jesus is coming again. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grace of wrath is He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. I have seen him in the watchers of a hundred circling camps. Crusades, and George Beverly Shea would stand up, and he would sing this. How many of you were at the, one of the Billy Graham Crusades here in Columbus, Ohio? Jet Stadium, that's right. And uh, George Beverly Shea, he seemed to improve with age. He 
sang this classic song we're going to sing together. <laughs> oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonders consider all the words thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. some praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Many times on Wednesdays, as we're studying different portions of the Bible, I'll bring out an old song, an old hymn that relates and the story behind it. 
the story of this great old hymn tells of a man who was engaged to be married and one week before the marriage his bride was killed in a tragic accident he kept following the Lord he kept trusting in God he moved from England over to America settled in a village in a town and after several years he found a a young lady that they were engaged and exactly one week before the marriage she passed away with pneumonia and he was feeling so neglected so lost so overwhelmed but the spirit of the Lord came upon him talk about a friend who will never leave and never forsake. Let's sing that old song together. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to prove. What a privilege to Oh, 
You may be seated for just a couple moments. Rest up a bit. We want to welcome everyone to worship and praise of Jesus today. As I mentioned earlier, we're just uh, making a joyful noise today. How many of you can muster up a joyful noise? Amen. Praise God. If you are a guest with us today or you're watching for the first time on our live stream, we want to welcome you here to Trinity. And uh, it gets better than this uh, when the whole team's here. But we're going to worship the Lord and give him praise. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us today. If you are a guest with us today, Mark's going to walk up and down the aisle. And he has with him a guest packet uh, for you to fill out and drop in the offering plates. They're down front. They're in the back of the sanctuary and in the lobbies. And so we have a record of your visit. Could we just greet any guests that we have today and give them a warm Trinity welcome. Welcome home. Welcome home to Trinity. Lots of things are going on. As I mentioned, we have a large contingency. Basically, the entire youth group is up at Camp Syker this week in Mount Vernon. And we invite you to come up and join us for some services. They have adult services children's ministries. That's where Pastor Carissa is. She's the children's evangelist for this week, 10 days of camp, and she has two services a day. You, if you can't make it up, you pray for her because this week it's supposed to be in the 90s, and this is an unair-conditioned children's tabernacle. <laughs> my, my. With action songs being sung. Woo! And uh, we have youth uh, services going on, adult Bible studies and, and services in the morning and the evening as well. And Linda and I hang out at the snack shop and try to keep people happy and pleased with uh, refreshments. There's a Christian bookstore on the grounds and some great fellowship. They have a cafeteria. You can get some fine food there as well. And uh, if you're still hungry, you can come to the snack shop and get a Coney dog later. But uh, a lot of our folk are doing that. All this week, we have something going on in Columbus, Ohio. The week before General Council, when all of the Assemblies of God pastors from around the country come in, it's here in Columbus, Ohio this year. And this week is called Seek and Save, where we have volunteers going out and doing street evangelism and ministering to homeless situations, whatever. And at, coming up this Saturday, next Saturday, is a block party. There are some flyers out in the lobby. You have a flyer in your bulletin too? Uh, there, yes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's what that is. And uh, this is to invite anybody in the area to come all day Saturday from from. 11 to 3, noon to 3. There's going to be over in the grassy area, there's going to be inflatables and all kinds of entertainment there. We have a Hispanic worship band coming in to provide music throughout the day. There'll be a guest speaker at uh, times. We're giving out free groceries. We're giving out uh, all kinds of literature and things inside the barn. There'll be hot dogs and free food and and face painting and all kinds of things going on. Many of you have already signed up to help. If you've not, 
sign up in the south lobby and there are instructions there for you. But uh, pass these around. They're going to be giving out some prizes of some bicycles to kids. They're going to be giving out uh, school supply giveaway, all kinds of things to touch the community with the love of Christ. And we're doing this in partnership with our sister church, Revive Church, over on Sullivan Avenue. They did not have the space to host the block party. Uh, they've got just a few parking spots, and we invited them to come over here, use our grounds uh, as the place that they can launch this. Convoy of Hope that you've heard about is going to be bringing in food, and we're giving out bags of groceries to our friends and neighbors. And so it's an opportunity to bless our area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a prayer table. There will be opportunities for you to just sit and witness to those that are passing by. So please sign up and be a part of that and pass these out. Let people know about next Saturday and the times are on there and all the location is right outside here. Then following the week following that, we have general council where there'll be business meetings and all kinds of activities uh, for the ministers and representatives from churches around the country. And we'll be electing officials and all kinds of things such as that. And so Columbus is going to be inundated with folks from all over the, the planet. Missionaries are coming in, and I have good news. As you know, we have two facilities here at the church that we bless missionaries with. We have a two-bedroom apartment in the south part of the South Annex, and uh, Robert Spector, ministry to Jewish uh, folks, Messianic Jewish ministries, he's going to be staying in there and having a booth and ministering at the general council, and then he has a team that's going to be ministering Jewish ministries at the Ohio State Fair as well. And they're going to be staying right up there. How about a round of applause for, for Rock of Israel? And then right across the way we have a three-bedroom home that used to be the church parsonage, but now we use it for ministering to our missionaries that are home on furlough, raising support to go back to the field. Dave Turner and his wife are going to be there for the next year. They're coming in a week from Monday and from Guatemala. And they're going to be sharing uh, at different times in our services. And you'll get to know and love them. We su we've supported them for years here at Trinity. Dave's a good friend. Dave is the founding pastor of what is now Revive Church. It used to be the church on the west side. And uh Dave is excited to be here for those activities as well. Also during the week of, of General Council, the National Fine Arts Competition is going to be taking place downtown Columbus. And we got to have a chat with my daughter, Carissa. We just got to have a chat. You know, she did all the stuff for the youth missions trip this summer. Now she's the children's evangelist up at up at Camp Syker for 10 days. And when she gets back, she's judging some of the competition at the National Youth Convention. Fine arts. 
when you have a chance, pray for Pastor Carissa to either get some sense or give her some strength. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know which she needs more. So there's a lot of things in the bulletin. We are having our regular Wednesday Bible studies. We have an a.m. Bible study at 10 a.m., and we are going through the Bible book by book and looking at each book and finding prayer principles. Last week we covered the Gospel of Luke and found some great prayer principles there. I'm excited about this Wednesday morning. We are in the book of John, and we're going to be looking at chapter 17 and finding out Somebody just come and tell me what's going on. Oh, there's a buddy barrel contest. Somebody should have told the old man behind the pulpit about that. I, <laughs> I, I didn't have it in my notes. So, buddy barrels is a fundraising arm of the children's ministries and the one person in charge of that Annette is uh, got a creative way they decorated their buddy barrels and you say what's the history of that well missionaries used to pack all of their belongings in large wooden barrels and sent them overseas packed with those things and so we're packing change a little change can change the world oh it's in the bulletin thank you very much thank you Let's sit down. <laughs> Smart Ellie. Uh, and we're sending change. And so out in the lobby on the mantle of the fireplace, they have decorated their buddy barrels. And you can go and cast your vote by placing your offerings in there for the best designed and decorated buddy barrel. And uh, we'll... We'll invite you to do that after service. Don't do it right now. But right after service, go and do that. Round of applause for Annette for all the work she does in raising missions money and missions awareness every month that our children know it's not just about us. It's about the whole world bringing them to Jesus. There's other announcements in your bulletin, and I'm going to let you read those. Let's get back to praising and worshiping the Lord. We remind you that all during praise and worship, when we're singing praise to our God, there's an opportunity for you to give your tithes, your offerings, your gifts of love in the front, in the back, in the lobbies. And uh, also, the brethren are down front to pray with you if you have a need. All during the time of, of singing and praise and worship, they're down here to pray with you. So let's stand together and continue to sing some of the great songs of the faith. I was shackled by a Yes. 
Jesus. There's something about that name. Before we even sing it, all over the sanctuary, just begin to whisper and worship the one who bears that name, the name of Jesus. Can we do that? Before we sing a note, Jesus, Jesus, praise the name of Jesus. All hail King Jesus. Jesus, Savior, Jesus, Healer, Jesus, Provider, Jesus, the rock in a weary land, Jesus, the driver away of the forces of the enemy, Jesus, the healer of broken bodies, Jesus, the one who can clear our thoughts and our minds, Jesus, the one who comes when we're in a dark place and he's the light of the world, Jesus, who's the fountain of life, Jesus, who's the bread of life, Jesus, who's the good shepherd to guide and lead us. Father God, we come in the name of Jesus to give you praise. We lift up that name because there's coming a day, church, when every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is both Lord and Christ.
be seated. I was telling some folk in the lobby about our Heavenly Father and his sense of humor. Two nights ago, in the middle of the evening service, he changed my Sunday morning message today. <clears throat> I usually try to be neat and organized, and uh, yellow sheets of paper, not yellow with age. <laughs> Praise God. Would you stand with me? And turn in your Bibles to the 12th chapter of the Holy Spirit through Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the first couple of verses And I'm curious to find out what the Lord has to say to us today. 
I'm reading out of the New King James. Your translation may bring this a little bit differently, but uh, he says in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father God, bless your word once again to the hearts of your people. And we're thankful that the very same Holy Spirit that moved upon the Apostle Paul centuries and thousands of years ago is still present in this place at this time to speak these words to this group of people. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open there to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Up until this point, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, has been going over a number of things that God has done, and also a number of things that people have done that God's not thrilled with. And we all know that when we see the word therefore in a portion of Scripture, we have to do what? Find out what it's there for. Because everything before that builds upon therefore the conclusion is this. It's like when you work a math problem and you have the, the 2 plus 2 and then you put a line down there. And what you're supposed to do is everything that happened before that line, you're supposed to add it up and put it there and draw your conclusions. How many of you have difficulty even today doing simple math problems? I'm one. I, math is not my thing. I'm I, working in the snack shop, and, and they'll, they'll say, I want this and that and the other, and how much is that? And I said, that's an excellent question. That's a wonderful question. And I'll call over, honey, what is that? And then my daughters are there to help, dad, dad. Okay, well, they think it's simple, not for me. When you draw that line, everything that came before that adds up to bring the result that's there. And so we're looking at what the therefore is there for. And we're going to find out briefly about that. But first of all, look at what happens before the therefore, exactly right before it. I beseech you. Now that's not a word you use a whole lot. How many of you used that in a, in a sentence this past week? I thought not. I was trying to think the last time I used the word beseech. 
I, I, I couldn't recall except in reading scripture. Paul is coming to Roman believers. He's not coming to the lost in this. This letter is not written to the lost. It's written to the church. It's written to born-again, blood-washed, filled with the Holy Ghost power believers. And he is not pointing a finger and saying, I command you to do this. I am ordering you. I'm the Apostle Paul. I was knocked down and found Jesus on the way to Damascus. I've been used to start this many churches. I've been in jail. I've been whipped. I've been beaten. He does not come from a position of power. He comes from a position of pleading. The word there in the original language is to beg or to humbly plead with someone. He's not coming with his finger pointed at them and saying, do this. He's saying, I'm begging you. Do this. Oh, there's a big difference, isn't there? How many of you respond real well to people come and say, you do this and you do that? What is any of you have that little thing that rises up within you and says, well, I don't think so. <laughs> I know some of you that have that rise up in you because I've tried to give you an order and you didn't respond well. So I stopped giving orders years ago. I, I, I just don't do it anymore. Would you please? <laughs> Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even though these are things that God wants to have happen, he is not making it a command that they must do it or be in violation. He is begging them. He is pleading with them to do what follows this out of pure love and a desire for the church of Jesus Christ to be expanded among the Roman believers and among the Roman people. All the lost of that wicked, that wicked civilization. But he brings a message of pleading, begging. He's begging the church to do something. And it's important. And he brings us a reasoning behind that. He says, I beseech you, I'm begging you, I am pleading with you, I'm on my knees, my, my finger is not pointed, my hands are joined together pleading with you, please, by the mercies of God. He said, my pleading is based upon the mercy of God that you have already experienced. Therefore, you see, the therefore takes us back to the previous 11 chapters. And no, I'm not going verse by verse through them. Don't worry. You'll make it out in time to say hi to Bob Evans and, and whoever else. But you look back and you begin with chapter 1 and he lists out what a wicked time they live in. The Roman believers are surrounded by wickedness. You remember last week we talked about the mess that was at Corinth. Well, Rome had its own mess. It was 
inundated with wickedness and sin and sensuality. And you read through, if you turn through and look chapter by chapter, you find out in the first chapter, he's saying in the midst of all the evil and wickedness that's going on, where people have turned a deaf ear to God and his ways, that people have rejected God, and they'll, they'll lift up idols to, to animals or to other foreign false gods, well, they'll exchange the natural relationship that God created. You, maybe you've never heard that. In the beginning, God created male and female. Well, in chapter 1, he said, that's not what's going on in Rome. They have exchanged the natural relationships with one another and have become perverted. It's all about self, nothing about God's plan or God's purpose. They become detestable, and God is saying, if that's the way you want to be, be that way. But you're going to be judged for it. In chapter 1, he lets the people know about the sin that's all around them and that they're going to suffer judgment and God is, is, is going to judge all wickedness and sin. Do you believe that? He will. But then he goes on and talks about that God has extended mercy. You're guilty of sin that is worthy of death. You see, the wages, this is previous verses in Romans, the wages of sin is death. But there's not a period in that sentence. Aren't you glad? It's not just a proclamation that when you sin, you're going to be judged, you're going to die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the mercy of God. And there goes that tambourine. I knew I'd nail it before the service was over. You see, there's, a, there's no period in that sentence. The wages of sin is death, but, however, God has a gift for you. Not death, eternal life through Christ Jesus, your Lord. Boy, that's mercy, isn't it? If you're on death row and you deserve <laughs> and you deserve death, you deserve the sentence. And God is stepping in and said, but it doesn't have to be that way. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You don't deserve anything God has for you. You realize that? I don't, you don't, nobody does. We don't deserve all the good things God has stored up for us because we're sinners and we're lost and we're hopeless except for the free gift of God's mercy when we call upon the name of the Lord and we're saved. Our sins are eradicated. They are washed off the slate. They no longer exist. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, they are separated from us and remembered against us no more. Whoa, somebody ought to shout. Your past is not just off the books. It's out of the view of God. He remembers it against you no more. 
You say, Pastor, that always troubled me. Does that mean that I can remember things and God can't? Does that make me better than God? No, it makes you stupid when you ask a question like that. But it's remembered against you no more. You still did the act, did you not? You still committed the sin. You still walked in disobedience. But, just like Paul, he still, in the past, had killed followers of Christ. He'd beaten them, took mom and dad from the crying hands of the children, and put them in jail and killed them. That's a fact. He had done that. But God, when he asked for forgiveness, Paul received the mercy of God that God remembered what he had done against him no more. And Paul relates it on numerous occasions when he stands before princes and kings and, and the Jewish leadership. He recounts his testimony of how he was vile and how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and he threw him in jail and he persecuted, but the grace of God was extended to me and I met him on the Damascus Road. And he tells his story, his personal testimony. He can remember what he was like before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. How many of you can remember what you were like before you met Jesus as your Savior? Now some of us have memory issues, but I, I think you can probably remember, can't you? God also remembers, but he remembers it against you no more. He uses it as a testimony of his transforming power in your life and in mine. When people see your life and they say, I remember what he was like. Yeah. But now I met the master. And I'm a different person today. Doesn't it bring you some joy to look back and see what he brought you from? You remember some of the old songs, Remind Me, Dear Lord. We were talking old songs today. Show me where you brought me from and where I might have been. Remember I'm human and humans forget. So remind me. He remembers our sin against us no more. But he uses our past life as a testimony, as a showplace, as, a, as a, a banner place where people can say, this is what God can do with a mess like Ken Keene. He can turn him around and use him for the glory of God. So, the mercy of God is that he transforms sinners and calls them saints. The mercy of God goes on in various chapters of up until chapter 12 that let us know that even though we've messed up, he doesn't write us off. Have you ever written somebody off? I know I have, and the Lord deals with me about that. But... I need to realize he didn't write me off. The mercies of God. The psalmist said the mercies of God are new every morning. 
It's a fresh slate of his mercies to rain down upon you every day. Every day when you arise, you have so many minutes, so many hours that the Lord gives you, and he wants to rain down his mercy. Every day that we live is another day of God's mercy, giving us that opportunity. I know we're tempted. Well, you know, I've got this ache, and I've got that pain, and I've got this problem, and I've got that, and... and uh, that, that spouse you gave me and that, that, that job you gave me and that, that car you gave me and that, that leaky roof you gave me. I, I, I. But with all the things that we have every day, we have a fresh slate of God's mercy for today. They're new every morning. Brand new. Brand new mercies today. You have a whole bucket load of God's mercies for you today. He's going to walk with us. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. He's going to hear our prayers. He's going to answer our prayers. He can touch the wounds. He can heal the broken heart. He can do transforming work in our lives. And it's all nothing we deserve. Not a thing. We can't go up to God and say, you know, when I, when I did this, uh, uh, you owe me. <laughs> How stupid would that be? He doesn't owe us anything. He's done it all. While we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for our sins. Not for anything that he had done. He had his only begotten son come and take on the form of human flesh and go through all the atrocities you know, as a parent, how many of you can relate to this? You know, people can say bad things about you or do things to you, but when they mess with your kids, mm -mm, let me at them. But God stood from the realms of glory and watched them spit in the face of his son and smite the back and curse at him and pull at a beard and put a crown of thorns on him and nail his hands and feet and open his back wide with the stripes. You think it did not hurt God? It's God's mercy that when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Experiencing God's mercy. And even the lost. This, this letter is written and this beseech is to the believer, to the church. But even the lost, they do not realize they are living under the mercy of God. Because what they have done deserves judgment. But he's giving them an opportunity because he's not willing that any should perish. When we're calling down God's wrath because of the things that are going on in our world, we need to remember if he hasn't come back for his church yet, it's because he's extending his mercy one more day. I beseech you. I'm begging you. I'm not commanding you. I'm pleading with you, Paul says, 
by the mercies of God, brethren, not to the lost. He's not begging the lost. He's begging the believers to do something that will ultimately reach the lost. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, all that he's done, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We'll stop right there. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. I looked up the, the Greek word for present, and it's very similar to our word present and present. You know, I, in Sunday school class, many times I'll have the kids read verses of Scripture. And our English language is a strange language, isn't it? You know, the word present and present are the same word. But it's context. When you give something as a present, what do you do? You hand it off and you take your hands off of it. The word there is the same in the Greek. It is to make an offering and lay it before. You say, well, how could the the Romans know anything about that. Read chapter 1. They, they had idols that they worshipped before they came to Christ. All over Rome. We, as we talked last week about Corinth, every street corner. It's kind of like here. Every street corner in the city of Columbus either has a Walgreens, a CVS, or a new bank building. Maybe all three down here. It's, it was that way in Rome. Every city of Rome would have an altar and a shrine. The first thing that you'd see when you come into the harbor at Caesarea Maritime in Israel, and some of you are going with us this time, and we'll take you to that, that harbor that Herod built. And up on the hill overlooking the harbor, the first thing that every sailor would see when they arrived at Caesarea Maritime, was the temple to Caesar Augustus. Because Romans believed that their Caesars were likewise gods. And so when the people would arrive in Caesarea Maritime, if they came by boat, they would make their way up and they would bow down and bring a present, a gift, and lay it before the altar at the place of the temple to Caesar Augustus. And they did this for several reasons. They were trying to court favor with Rome for the outstation in Israel, but also it was a big business, the worship of false gods, idols everywhere. And they had learned, even the Romans, before they were saved, had learned that you bring a present and offering and present it to your gods. Now, I haven't seen this in years, but any of you remember back when you'd go into a Chinese restaurant in the front lobby, there would be a little statue of Buddha. Any of you ever seen those? With a couple pieces of fruit 
and sometimes some sticks of incense. This was an altar, a Shinto altar, asking Buddha to bless the establishment. Now, I used to go into one up in Bell Fountain, and, and the lady there had come to our services and given her heart to the Lord, and I talked to her about it. She took it down. She says, well, it's just, just custom. We just do that. I says, well, don't do that. You're worshiping Jesus now. It's a very common thing all over the world for people to bring gifts and present them to their deity, their altar, their God that they're worshiping. Whether it's ancestors, I know in the Philippines it's a big deal to take out gifts and present them to trees that they think that their ancestors abide in. This is, this is something that is real in other parts of the world. But we have our own idols in America, don't we? And so when the Holy Spirit moved upon Paul to write to them, talking about the mercies of God that they had experienced, how they used to be, what they used to be engaged in, he's asking them to now present something to the one true God. Not a bowl of fruit, not a bit of incense, not some meat. You remember in Paul's writings, he had to deal with some people who were troubled over the fact that they were eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. How many remember that? And Paul said, it really doesn't matter because they're just pieces of stone, but if it bothers you, don't eat it. You know, if you don't like it, don't eat it. So the Romans were remembering how they used to take offerings and present them to the false gods of Rome. And the Holy Spirit is moving upon Paul to write, I'm begging you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, because of God's mercy that has brought you up to this place, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice. We're to present it. And as in the word present, we take our hands off the gift. Wouldn't it be terrible to have a birthday party or something or Christmas celebration and somebody brings in, I, you know, our tradition at our family is we, we start with the, the youngest and they open all their gifts so we can watch them. And uh, I was so glad that my, my daughters decided several years ago, says, dad and mom might not make it through till it's time for them, so we'll let them go second, you know, so appreciate that. They're not watching, but they'll watch it later. Wouldn't it be terrible if I got all these presents and they said, did you enjoy it? Yes, I loved it. Was it nice? Yes, thank you so much. Well, we're taking it home now. No, I don't think so. 
You presented it to me. It was a present to me. You take your hands off what you present to me. And the concept was when they, they came to the altars in the idol-worshiping days, they would present their offering to the false god and they would leave it there and go home. Paul is saying, because of God's mercy, you're a child of the king, you're a brother and sister in Christ, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you to make a present of your bodies as a living sacrifice and take your hands off of you and leave your lives to God. A living sacrifice. Huh. Living sacrifice. I heard a quote years ago. It's one of my favorite quotes. I've used it many times. You've heard it before. The trouble with a living sacrifice is that living sacrifices have a tendency to crawl off the altar. Dead things just stay there. Just, they just lay there. If you give a piece of fruit, it just stays there and shrivels up. You put a hunk of meat down there, yep, it's, it's going to just rot there. But a living thing can crawl off. I don't know if any of you have ever wondered about this. I know, especially in the days in which we live, and any time we read in the book of Revelation about the persecution that will fall against the church before Jesus takes us home. And we look at some of the persecution that's going on even right now. How many of you have ever had this question in your mind? I wonder if it came down to them saying, renounce Jesus Christ or die, if I'd have the courage to stay with Christ. Have any of you thought about that? Am I the only one? Anybody else thought about that? Would I have the courage to die for Christ? Would I have the fortitude to die for my Savior? Or would I back up and say, well, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll secretly renounce him, but in my heart I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep being a believer. And as I was reading this, I was sitting in a service, an evening service, and the Lord was dealing with me about this, and I reflected back on the times that I, would I be willing to lay down my life for the Lord? How can I know? Say, so, well, you just, it's impossible to know until you get to that situation. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart. It says, yes, you can know. You can know if you would be willing to die for him. If you are now willing to live for him. If you're not willing to live for him, and according to his plans and precepts, you're never going to die for him. If it's a part of your life to live according to his word and his ways, it's an indicator. Am I living for Christ? Am I hands off giving my body, my abilities, my, my talents or whatever I may have? Am I willing to take my hands off of that and be a living sacrifice to him? That lets me know 
if I would be willing to die for my Savior. The Lord is not so much looking for those who are willing to die for him as those who are willing to live for him. Right here. Right now. Well, you know, Pastor, I, 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 you know, like, you remember when Pete said that, Simon Peter, Lord, if, if everybody else leaves you, not this boy, not me. And Jesus turned to him and says, ah, Simon Peter, ah, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster tells people to get up. And he did. He said he was willing to die for Jesus but he wasn't willing to live for Jesus when the pressure came on, when the swords came out. You remember he even had a sword that he took with him to the prayer meeting, which is always a bad idea. He drew it and cut off Malchus's, the servant's ear in the garden, and when Jesus said, uh-uh, it's not what I meant. He took off and run. He wasn't willing to be a living sacrifice for Jesus, much less to sacrifice his life for the Lord. But the turnaround exists when we realize that later on, when Simon Peter found Jesus on the shoreline after his resurrection, and he felt the sting of the nets in his hands when the draught of fishes. He says, I know that voice. I know that miracle. He did it three years ago when we were out fishing all night and caught nothing. And he came by and said, throw it on the other side. And we did. And there he was with a draught of fish. And the same thing happened today. He dove into the water, swam to shore, fell at the feet of Jesus, and from that point on, he lived for Jesus. And when the time came, and they asked him to renounce Christ, he says, no, this is a matter of fact. I don't feel worthy to die in the same manner you crucify me upside down. You see, if you're not willing to live for Christ, a living sacrifice, you will never be able to die for him. And Jesus Christ, through Paul the Apostle here, said, I'm begging you, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy that has brought you to this place of salvation, of being part of the church, that you present, you make a hands-off present of your bodies, every aspect of you, of your life, a living sacrifice. Leave it there, holy, acceptable to God. And we've talked about the word holy before, and it means two things. It means cleansed, and it means set apart belonging to, private property. And that definition flows right in with what the Holy Spirit is talking through Paul. I'm begging you. Present, make a present 
of your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, take your hands off of it, it now belongs to God. It's no longer your time. You ask him, what would you have me do with it? It's your time, God. It's no longer your talents. They belong to him. You've made a present of them. You've taken your hands off. And the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. Okay. This past several weeks, you know, there are, there are those that I know I can count on even though they may feel overwhelmed. And one of those is Marcia, Marcia Craig. And when Carissa was pacing nervously, when she found out that not a single one of the worship team keyboardists or vocalists would be here today, it's dad. What can we do? And, and my first thought was, let's put your worship soundtracks and things on the screen, and we'll just hum along with you. Just put it pre-recorded, you know. And she says, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And she says, is there anybody? And we tried a couple situations and it came down I says you know what I'll ask Marcia if we could just do some songs that she's comfortable with she plays and sings over at the nursing home every month and when I asked her I sent a text and asked her yes of course because years ago I believe at the altars of this church. Marcia presented her body, her talents, her abilities, her time, her skills, and said, Lord, they belong to you. Amen. They are no longer mine. Now, was she nervous? Lord, no, she was. She's still palpitating back in the seat. And she's been practicing and practicing and practicing. And didn't she do a great job? Amen. I'm begging you, Paul says, because of all of God's mercy that's been extended to you, believers, that you make a present of your bodies, skills, talents, abilities, resources, time as a living sacrifice. Holy, separated, they belong to God, not you anymore. Now I know a lot of talented people who have never become a living sacrifice. I know a lot of talented people that have skills and abilities, but they've not given them to God. They keep their hands on those things. 
Paul is begging and pleading. He's not commanding. He's begging the believers in Rome, surrounded by an evil society, to take your hands off of your lives and live for Christ and be his. Holy, or in the next phrase, acceptable to God. Now, we have the, the grandchildren, well, grandchild, well, two grandchildren right now, living in our cabin with us up at Camp Psycho. And we will send them in to clean their area of their clothing and possessions and snack wrappers and drink boxes and whatever. And they will come back to me as they did yesterday and say, Grandpa, it's all clean. I said, okay. And I walked up and not bad. But Linda walked in. It was acceptable to my low standards. How many of you would admit you have some low standards? And things can be acceptable. How many of you husbands have ever gone in and you say, yeah, I cleaned around my chair. I, I cleaned the car out. But it wasn't acceptable to a higher standard. It was acceptable to you, but not to your spouse. Well, you turned in a job at work, and it was acceptable to you, but he's, nah, take it back and do it again. We're presenting, making a present of our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy, they belong to him, acceptable to God. The world is accepting a lot of stuff today and calling it okay. That's okay Christianity. They're not the judge. If we presented our lives to the Lord, he's the judge. If it's acceptable or not. A living sacrifice. I got to move on quickly. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Other translations say that it is your reasonable worship, or it is your worship to God. You say, well, what does that mean? It's not about just being reasonable to you. It's only reasonable that we should serve the one who saved us. It's only reasonable that he should get our best and not our least. And it's worship. You see, worship is not just what we do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday when we sing songs and clap our hands or raise our hands or whatever. Worship is how we live. In the church I was raised in, Hansburger Memorial Methodist Church at 13th and Cleveland in Columbus, Ohio. 
on the outside of the sanctuary, as you're getting ready to leave this massive sanctuary, it seated around a thousand people. It was a beautiful, gorgeous church, and, and stained glass windows all around, and we only got two, you know, but stained glass windows all around, and just a gorgeous place, and you, you've had a wonderful church service. We call it our worship service, but they had put in gold lettering over every exit door, not an exit sign, that came later with the government, but over every exit door, it said, end of worship, beginning of service. When you step through those doors, we start serving him all the more. It's your reasonable service to live for him and present your bodies to him and allow him to use everything about you. It's not a command. Paul's simply begging the believers at Rome because he goes on. Oh, look at it with me. And be not conformed, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Pouring things into molds. The mold is not the real thing. It just looks like it. And far too often, the church and believers' lives are being poured into the mold of the world rather than being transformed to be the living sacrifices to God. The world wants you to conform to it. It has all kinds of penalties if you don't conform, all kinds of situations that can arise. But if you're God's property, you cannot conform and be acceptable to him. There are certain things we cannot let go. We have to be servants of the Most High God. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't fit into the mold this world is giving off. But be transformed. And the word there, you know it. We've talked about it many times. But it's an important distinction. Don't be poured into the mold of the world but be transformed. Metamorphosis is the Greek word there. Metamorphi. And it's the same process of an ugly little caterpillar just kind of inching along. And the caterpillar inches along and he's crawling on the ground. He's crawling on a branch. He's crawling on a leaf. Sometimes he's crawling on your arm. He's just inching along. The only view he has is the ground in front of him. That's his whole life until at a certain stage in time, he, God created him in such a way that there was a transformation, a metamorphosis. And through 
Now, the anti-creationalists cannot fathom this part. And I love it. How did a caterpillar develop the concept of putting himself in a cocoon? And on the inside of that cocoon, a complete metamorphosis took place. And when he comes out of the cocoon, he is not a new, improved caterpillar. He is not moving swiftly along the dirt. He is not clinging to the vine. But he emerges, and when he emerges out, he begins to flap wings he never had, and he soars to heights he never saw, and he experiences the breezes that he never felt, and he looks completely different than the way he looked before, and he acts completely differently than the way he acted before, and he sees things differently. He's in places he never dreamed about. He only saw the dirt, and now he sees the sky and the clouds and the flowers and the bloom. He has been metamorphosized. Oh, child of God, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, we make a present. We take our hands off of it. He wants to come, and he wants to make us holy, acceptable to him, and not to conform us into the mold of the world. He wants to do a work that transforms you and me into something that never was before. A new creation in Christ Jesus. And people don't go around looking and saying, oh, what a lovely caterpillar. They say, what a beautiful butterfly. They don't have gardens dedicated to caterpillars. Have you noticed that? Over at Franklin at the conservatory, they don't have an area for caterpillars. But they have a butterfly area. Because people love to see the butterflies. And the colors and the flight the world is not looking for caterpillars that look just like them. They want to lift a gaze and see someone whose life has been metamorphosized by becoming a present to the Lord, a living sacrifice. They're going to watch the life of the butterfly, Christian, soaring. And they say, what made that butterfly fly? The same creator that transforms lives today. And I thank God for his mercy. I was that caterpillar, and so were you. Everything was about me and mine but he did a work in my heart. Yes. And if 
letter to the Ephesian church. He has caused us to rise up and walk in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is begging believers, and I'm begging you in his behalf, on behalf of the Holy Spirit, because of God's mercy extended to you, that you make a present of your lives, your bodies, your talents, your abilities, your resources, your time, your talent to God and live for him. Know this, you will never die for Christ if you're not willing to live for him right now. Question answered. But when you become separated to him, you become God's property, acceptable to him, and you don't conform yourself to the ways of the word, but you are world, but you are transformed by the work of the Spirit in your life. And people will look and marvel at the butterfly. And they just crush the caterpillars. The world needs to see some lives that have been transformed. How about yours? How about mine? How about now? Would you stand with me, please? <clears throat> They're going to play an old, old song written by Iris Stanfield. The words of the verse go this way. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. His grace so free, there's room at the cross for you. I'm asking you today in behalf of Paul and the Holy Spirit of God, I'm begging you. If your hands are still held tight to your life, you say, well, I don't know what God will want me to do. I don't know what God will ask of me. This altar is open for you to come and present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And let the transformation begin. The world is tired of seeing ugly caterpillars. They want to see the butterfly. They want to see changed lives. They want to see saints soaring. They want to see you. They want to see me. What a difference Jesus can make in a life. We're going to sing that chorus, and I invite you to come as if you're walking up to just one altar, not an altar to a false god, but an altar to the Lord, and laying your lives before Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you. If there's anyone here who hasn't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, right where you are at home or right here, you can come and present yourself to Jesus Christ. He'll change your life. 
You've been trying to figure out a way to witness and minister to loved ones who don't know Jesus. Caterpillar won't do it. Butterfly will. A transformed life. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. And as we sing, I invite you to leave and come to this place of prayer today. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross scripture one last time and as I do and she plays Michael plays you come present yourself I beseech you I beg you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room going to sing it one last time. I'm not going to beg as Paul did. I'm just going to invite. Room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for there's room at the cross for you. Some of my other deacons, other brothers to come and pray. Be available, please. Need your help. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. Father God, we're so thankful that we've been recipients of your mercies. Your mercies are new every morning. 
Father, today, because of how merciful you've been to us, give us direction on how we can present ourselves, make a present of ourselves to you. Every talent, every ability, every aspect of time and resource in your hands, not ours, to be used of you, your pleasure, your present. Father God, for those who have questioned, would I have the courage to lay down my life for Christ, speak strictly to hearts today, if you're not willing to live for him, you'll never die for him. Father God, let us leave this place of worship and go into a world full of need of service. Help us not to be conformed to the world in which we live, but to be metamorphosized by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would know what the good and perfect acceptable will of God is. People would see changed lives and realize it wasn't us that did the changing, but Creator God who made the work possible. We thank you for it all, Lord. We pray for this coming weekend and the outreaches that will be made into our community. We're praying for souls to come, to meet Jesus Christ, to find a church home, to be transformed by the message. We pray for every person going to volunteer and help and assist. We pray that this would be holy ground, that as people walk onto it, the presence of the Holy Spirit cause them to soar and want to be in your presence. We ask for your help in all these things. In the matchless name of Jesus. Father, we're so thankful there was room for us at the cross. We thank you in Jesus' name. still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for 